I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. On Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. So in the middle of Eternia, there is this place called the Sands of Time. It's kind of like just, do you remember the cartoon, like the flames just kind of spreading out of the desert type of deal? I I guess it depends on which version of the cartoon you're talking about because I never really Fair watched enough. the old one. I I kind of caught the mid two thousands one a little bit. That's the really good. one. I mean, they're all good in their own way. The eighties one is nice and campy. The two thousand X one's like the more serious version. Princess mm-hmm. of Power, the Princesses of Power, is the best show out of Motu and Pop. Uh, Pop is Princess of Power and Motu is Master of the Universe. But in the in the middle of the desert there, I'm building the three ta- uh, I built uh, the three towers onto the map here: uh, Grayskull Tower, Viper Tower, and Central Tower. And there are three towers, just like there are now three parts of this discussion, Chad. Wow! Look at that was that was a sexy transition. You I'm just really you really laid it in there, good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so for for a little context my my dear friend James yes. has embarked on on an epic quest to rebuild the fantasy world of Eternia mm-hmm. from He-Man and the Masters of the Universe in his basement which as as someone with two nephews I think that makes you the coolest uncle do you get a I, plaque I, or anything I, I, John let me just say this I say this with no uh you know um vanity or uh braggadocious attitude but i am the best uncle i i am the best uncle um all other uncles uh, weep in comparison to me um and that's just the way it is but <laughs> i yeah i am building uh eternia in the base if you want to see my progress or follow along zeldor the mayor on instagram <laughs> little plug for that and uh, follow me there, yeah, John. I didn't know this was all a, this was all a, a scam to get a plug for my uh, Instagram hobby. Yeah, I'm, I'm look at I'm, that. I'm firing on all cylinders tonight, baby. Woo! I can tell. I can tell. Um, well, <laughs> you know, James, who we are shortly going to discover is not a very good uncle. Oh, who? Uh, that would be Ebenezer Scrooge, because uh, it is Jacob Marley is dead. Episode three, we are going to be continuing our discussion of uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles so Dickens, part, the novella. So, so this is part 
three of a two-parter. Did I? What? What am I? I'm, I'm joking with you, John. I'm. I'm. I'm oh, yeah, yeah. Got that. I was doing the teasing. So originally this was be a two-parter, but this is part three. <laughs> yes, this is part part three of the two-parter that somehow we thought was going to be a one-parter because we uh, are very good at podcasting. Obviously. Uh, um, 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 who thought it was going to be a two-parter? <laughs> that would be well. I did. I think that you had the the clearer notion here. Um, but that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be picking up here in a minute with the ghost of Christmas present. Uh, so stick around. What was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day? And what was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day in the morning? So Scrooge wakes up again. And he is uh, definitely starting to like mull over these memories, these things that he's picked up. Mm -hmm. He's already starting to shift a little bit, I think, in his thinking. Mm -hmm. And he does not want to be surprised again like he was the first time. So he sort of resolves that like he's going to sit and wait for the bell to ring so that he knows where the ghost is. And he like opens up all the curtains on his bed so that he doesn't get surprised by one of them getting pulled back by the spirit, which is what happened the first time. I think I neglected to mention. Um, So this time uh, no light appears in the room, but uh, a light shines from under the door to the adjoining room. Mm -hmm. And Scrooge sits for like a long time, kind of not wanting to go in there because he's a little bit afraid. And he finally gets up the courage to like walk towards the door. And as he's going through, he hears this booming voice kind of like uh, invite him in. Right. It's uh, what what does the ghost of Christmas present say? Come in and know me better, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he goes in. And he is greeted by the ghost of Christmas present, which could not be more different from the ghost of Christmas past, where the ghost of Christmas past was um, kind of ephemeral, young and old, hard to visually pin down, vague the way that memory is. The ghost of Christmas present is there and physical and robust. It's a giant with a bare chest and a green robe, um, a crown of holly leaves. He's carrying a torch. Um kind of like a horn shaped like a horn of plenty uh the room is full of like christmas food and desserts and roasted um animal meat and and just it's a bright and and kind of joyous scene and you have this like giant kind of vital figure in the middle of it he's father christmas yeah that's what i was going to ask like do you think he's intentionally evoking father christmas 100% when people say do you believe in santa claus or and stuff like that this is this is the the spirit is the belief in santa right the spirit the, the belief is and the spirit of the holiday is Father Christmas. And that is what the ghost of Christmas present is because it's here. It's tangible. It's living. And we're going to get into more detail about what that means. But like it is all that we feel about the season is Santa Claus, Father Christmas. And that's the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah, there's a um, there's a detail which literally just now in my brain like clicked and I understand what it's supposed to be but the spirit has a scabbard like a for a sword on its belt but the scabbard is empty and rusted and it just occurred to me right because I guess uh 
Christmas is like a time of peace, right? So like no need for war, no need to have a sword. The the sheath is rusty. Um, but it is still a festival of light and he's carrying a torch. Right. And again, the, the past hat is all light and he is still, he is carrying a torch for 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 the for the past and for for the, the spirit of the holiday and we're we're getting to the ne- I don't want to jump to the next ghost but uh not so much yeah, bright light thought. there yeah so um the ghost of christmas present sort of it describes itself as like one of many siblings so it describes itself as having over 1800 siblings which no doubt is like a reference to the 1800 years that have passed since the birth of christ um each year there's like a new ghost of christmas present so each christmas is different um i always liked that line i always thought that was just subtle enough to be like to not be caught by some but just like okay i get it yeah yeah, Christmas has only existed for, you know, this many years. So the the way Scrooge interacts with this ghost is very different. He's definitely still, there's some trepidation about like being in the presence of this figure. But this ghost, Scrooge kind of is able to say, um, if you have something to show me, show me. Because what I saw last night, I've been thinking about and I, I feel like it's going to make me change something. So I'm willing to like take a lesson. And basically the the spirit in that moment takes him into the streets of the city. And this is where, you know, what I was saying with the ghost of Christmas past being like more focused on Scrooge, this ghost is, could not be less focused on Scrooge. Um, Mm. Nothing, none of what Scrooge is shown by the ghost of Christmas present has to do with Scrooge. It has to do with the reality of this holiday and what it means to people. Um, So there's this extended sequence where they're like in the streets of London and, Uh, just kind of in among the people and the ghost is sort of sprinkling from its torch, some kind of blessing over people. Um, It blesses meals with it as people are kind of carrying their, their like food to these baker's shops to be roasted before they take it back to their house. Um, It even kind of comes between people having an argument because like everyone's kind of doing their like Christmas morning shopping or whatever for food and people are getting jostled and getting into arguments. But then the ghost will sprinkle from this torch and it kind of resolves the argument and the implication being that like this ghost is sort of that emotional spirit of Christmas moving among people and having people remember like, Oh, I'm not going to get in a fight on Christmas. Like you're good, bro. It's fine. And it's cool because Scrooge is just kind of observing this. Like he, a guy who has basically since he was a young man had nothing to do with Christmas is, is forced to observe the impact that Christmas has upon people. And and I think going back to my idea that this is dream, this is something that he sees, but maybe doesn't want to see, you know, because he's a, from it so i i again i even though these aren't from his past his present necessarily it's still from his present because this is the world around him that he has nothing to do with right so there's like kind of an interesting moment here where where scrooge like admonishes the spirit for like oh yeah like like shutting down i'm unclear on what this what this is referring to so like uh, shutting down businesses one day of this week and depriving people of income oh the people that need money to work um 
Yeah, this I remember this moment uh, when I was re- listening to it again the other night, and it was really a solid moment that it's still kind of hard to interpret because it kind of just creeps up. And then before you are able to understand quite what Scrooge is getting at, the ghost of Christmas present is having none of it. Right. Right. So like Scrooge comes at the ghost of Christmas present and is like, you're depriving people of money because you know, you and your brothers, you know, you close this day for holidays and people can't make money to work. And the ghost of Christmas present basically says, uh-uh. Oh, I know you are, but what am I? Yeah. <laughs> Just because, don't blame me for what people who, you know, maybe, you know, go around and do things in my name, but they aren't of good cheer and they're not well-intentioned. Those are the bad actors out there. Don't blame the season. Blame, you know, don't don't hate the game. Hate the player, I guess. Which is really interesting, right? Because Charles Dickens, like was was a little bit more like i don't know that he was fully secular but he wasn't he was pretty critical of organized religion um yeah and i think it's really interesting that he has this message here that's like do not like just because a a authority figure is saying this is what this day is about like that doesn't make him right and there's sort of i think a broader criticism of like people who say oh well this religion or that religion has caused like xyz problem and it's it's an interesting criticism of this idea that like you, like, it's an it's, a, it's an argument against bad actors. Yeah. It's against that that in any organization, in any philosophy, in any religion, in any thing in life that ha- that maybe has a good element to it or could be good, there are people that can come around and find a way to abuse their power in relationship to it, right? And and act a fool, do bad stuff, yeah. and be the worst of humanity but in the name of good right but you gotta don't come to the idea and say just because the idea of doing good has led to somebody doing bad which is wonderful sentence there james but but the but the truth is there it's in the christmas pudding i think it's a moment (laughs) that challenges scrooge's cynicism right because he i think that he has taken this really pragmatic like christmas makes no sense because it's it like people are expected to spend this money and like businesses shut down and like ultimately it's a nuisance. Right. And the spirit is definitely more like, but okay. But so why don't we go and see like the positive impact that the, this holiday has on people. And to do that, he takes him to the home of one Robert Cratchit. Yeah. Bobby C. Yeah. Bobby C. So we're, we're, we go to Bob Cratchit's home, which is the, the most, um, saccharine after school special, sweet, loving family in the history of the world. It, it's almost nauseating to read about because they're just so nice to each other and so excited. It's an episode of Full House sitcom sweet, and it's the best stuff ever. Yeah. So, Bob, um, you know, the, it's implied that he has a very small house that he's paying the mortgage on. Um, with his, you know, 15, 15 Bob a week salary. And, uh, he's got a wife, he's got, uh, let's see, he's got an older, like adult daughter who, um, it's unclear whether or not she still lives at home. I'm not sure how that worked at this time, but, um, 
I got the sense that she was away at either a school or living with a relative or working with a relative somewhere she's, else. Well, she's working outside of the house. We know that because she kind of discusses right. her work, I think. So I I think that she's like an adult out in the world working maybe with a roommate or something. If that was a, right. If that was a thing in Victorian England, I, I do not know enough of my history in this. Um they have an older son who's like in his mid teens, I would assume like ready to be apprenticed somewhere. Um, right. And that can be relatively young. I mean, we've, we've talked about like how children weren't treated as children for the most part in this time. Right. So like he could be as young as 13, 12. I mean, sure. And then there's kind of like a passel of like a couple of younger Cratchits. I think there's, is Belinda Cratchit one of them? Um, Belinda, it's Belinda, Melinda. Belinda. Belinda. Belinda yeah. with a B. Um, and I think there's like another younger boy. And then there's Tiny Tim, the mascot of oh. Christmas Carol. Okay. Tiny Tim. John, has there ever been a more sympathetic, loving character in history than Tiny Tim? Uh, he's He kind of is the template, right? So Tiny Tim is, is the Cratchit's youngest child. He is clearly unwell. So we don't know the the particulars of his illness we know that his legs are supported with with an iron frame kind of like you would see with with um polio patients um he walks with a crutch so there's something underdeveloped about his legs and i think we also based on what happens later it's sort of implied that there's also some broader health concerns with tiny tim he's He's just unwell he's got that kind of like vague wasting victorian illness right Right. like like uh consumption or something where you i I don't think he has consumption because i don't think he would have lived at all but it's sort of implied that he's got some illness like basically he's got poor person sickness where he's got plot device no um but well it is because whatever it is it's not something that the cratchits on their meager salary can afford to handle on their own and i would argue and i would argue at that that is another another marker that this is a dream because we never know why like assuming it is a dream right as why would scrooge know about tiny tim right he never met tiny Tim. He has no real description of him, but maybe just maybe Scrooge overhears things from Cratchit, right? Or just so little things here in the air, you know, I'm just saying we're going to, I'm going to talk to you about why I think the dream explanation doesn't work in the next scene, but I hear what you're saying. There's a possibility, but I think over the course of this section of the text, it grows a little slim. So basically the Cratchits have like what, on paper is is a a pretty meager Christmas meal, but they they do that thing that charmingly poor people in texts of this type do, which is to celebrate it as though it's this big feast, and they practice you know an attitude of gratitude and all of that kind of stuff. Um, Bob Cratchit raises a toast to Mister Scrooge as the founder of the feast, and Missus Cratchit, um, like any good wife, kind of tears Scrooge down a little bit, but that's like the most negative that this family becomes. Um, I think it's interesting how the idea that they mentioned that nobody in the Cratchit family would talk about how lame Christmas dinner is. Yeah. By, by comparison to everybody else in the world. 
and how that is a lovely thing about them. But I wonder is like, is that also a commentary about the rich always complaining about what they've got, even though they've got so much? So, that, and I think so there's that, a way in which like the poverty of the Cratchits makes them grateful for what they do have. And that's what Scrooge right. needs to see is like, the, exactly. it is not about the fact like they're not spending a ton of money on this meal, but they're grateful for it. And that's what the season's about. His daughter came home. Bob Cratchit's daughter came home. And that's all he really, he needed that and being surrounded by his family. Right. And it is, it is cutesy. It is a bit cliche, but like I said, last episode, sometimes these things are done to death because they deserve to be. And the example of a good man with a good family we need examples of good people living good lives. Well, and, and this makes me think back to this idea that Scrooge came from poverty and that his like quest for money has been a way to soothe the hurt of being like a poor person when he was when he was young. And that him getting to see this family who he is actively causing to be poor, like he is definitely mm -hmm. not like the best in terms of paycheck. Right? Yeah, I'm sure he's, he's not paying scale for what Bob is doing. Right, right exactly. And I think to be able to see that even in this situation where he's like, like causing the poverty of this family, they are still like their wealth is in their connection to each other and in their choice to, to seek joy, even in the midst of this struggle. Um, mm -hmm. And it's like forcing him maybe to confront some of that fear that like, you know, he, he is afraid to be poor or like he let that fear of being poor turn him into this kind of monster. So he had, he had sorry, I was going to say he had his, I'll never go hungry again moment. Yeah. But we, we, but if you know that story, you know, it doesn't end well for her either. Right. So those moments can really make you somebody with some grit and fight for what you want but it might not make you the best person in your life. Right. Oh, and he's kind of miserable because it's not like he's like, it's clear from the way he's sort of described in the first chapter that he's not spending any of this money. Like he's not doing anything with it. He's just accruing it for the sake of having it. But he's also like sitting in a cold drafty house with no lights on eating gruel because it's cheap. Oh. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, Scrooge has this kind of very human moment where he looks at Tiny Tim and he asks the spirit, like, is Tiny Tim going to die? Right. And the spirit's yeah. basically like, yeah, man, this is this is Victorian London. Do you see his legs? Like, what are you talking about? Basically, he's saying, like, I looking into the future, I see a crutch without an owner. And if these things remain unaltered, the child's going to die. And then the best line probably in the whole text, he throws Scrooge's words back at him. He's like, but if he had rather die, he'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. <laughs> and then he like, like lights into Scrooge. And this is what I think is interesting about this spirit. Like this is the spirit that challenges Scrooge the most. And he basically says like, um, so in the future, maybe hold your tongue when talking about the surplus population until you know, what you are talking about because it's entirely possible that your life is worth way less than that of this poor man's child. And Scrooge has nothing to say about that. Well, how could he? Yeah. How how could how how could you? I mean, Scrooge is a narcissist, right? Like Scrooge, he's he's probably a vulnerable narcissist if we had to put a name on it, right? Right. Um, but he's a narcissist. 
in that moment, he comes face to face with, in such a short time of life, Tiny Tim has done more, said more, and is more than all Scrooge has ever done and earned. And I think there's, I think in that moment, I'm trying to find the exact right word for it, but it's, this is extreme. This is a, this is, this is positive trauma that is being affected on Scrooge, which is weird to say, because we don't think of it, but like it's doing damage to who he was, right? He's breaking down the idea that the man he was was something of merit. And now it's not. So this is, it is hurting him because it is breaking down and destroying the man he was. Right. One only hopes, right? Um, so moving on from, from Bob Cratchit's house, we get this kind of interesting sequence where the spirit kind of takes Scrooge out to this like place where coal miners live with their families. And it's like basically a ton of people in this like tiny cottage, but they're all gathered around a fire singing a Christmas song, even though it's this kind of bleak, like mining landscape. And then they, they fly out um, to a, a lighthouse and there are these lighthouse keepers that like these two guys that are just hanging out in a lighthouse, but they're singing Christmas songs and having a good time. And there's a ship way out at sea. And there's this kind of like sense that all around the world this day for people who celebrate it is like this day of, of kind of joy, regardless of their circumstances. So Scrooge gets to see kind of like the length and breadth of, of the Christmas around the world. Um, which is a sequence that we really don't see in most adaptations. I think it just gets cut for the sake of time. Well, um, I mean, I think it's it, 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 what's what, what I like about the sequence is unlike the street scene, which is even though there's fights breaking out that are calmed down by the ghost, right? It's we're all used to that visual, right? Like we're all used to the idea of like the like the the the, the street on Christmas being full of life, right? We're all that's a we get that image. The miners in particular, like these horrible situations people are living through, right? Like they're tough. They are tough situations. Even there, they're able to find a moment, right? Of just like, we made it to Christmas, you know? Right, right. And the, the holiday ends up being like an excuse for them to experience a little bit of joy. Um, I'm alive. And then we come to Fred. Right. So the, the ghost kind of settles in on Fred's house and and Scrooge gets to see sort of his nephew and his nephew's wife, who um, also gets kind of like the the slightly like male gaze description oh, um, um the infantilizing male gaze description. Everybody in that house gets it kind of. I mean, there's one. Well, well, he talks about the yeah, there's the kind of one party guest who's like flirting with the uh is she? The sister-in-law character. Um, Wait, so is this the game they're playing? What now? They're playing. What is the game, John? It's Dead Man's Bluff. Or blind Man's they're, Bluff. They're blind, blind Man's Bluff. So like one person's like got a, a blindfold over their eyes and they're trying to catch other people. So yeah, but basically this party is like uh, f- like you know Fred and all of his like young hip married friends having kind of like a a friend Christmas. It's interesting. There's it doesn't seem like a family party so much as like a gathering of like this like friend group having a Christmas and they're all playing like various kind of like party games. Um well it's nighttime. Uh we don't know how much we don't know how much family uh, all these people have. I mean, 
it's probably I mean, do we get this confirmed later on? But it's just Fred and Scrooge, right? The the family wise, I believe so. Yeah. So I mean, it, there's no extended family there, but I don't think Fred and Scrooge. I think they're the only ones left in their family. Um, well, yeah, actually. So that brings me to a point that I forgot. The Ghost of Christmas Past, when they're talking, kind of uh, reminds Scrooge that his sister died. So Scrooge's sister, Fan, died after Fred yes. was born. And I think that's that's like a point of animosity because I think that's that Scrooge really loved his sister, uh, clearly, like had a connection to her. Um, and I think Fred reminds him of that pain, which he's trying to escape. So anyway, Scrooge gets really into this party um, where they're playing all these different games and he like really wants to spend more time there and just like, like observe the games. And he keeps trying to participate in the games, even though he knows no one can see him. But the ghost of Christmas present is like, now nah, we got to go, man, because we got one more stop to make. So basically, the, oh, no. they go back out into the streets. Oh, wait, John, I'm sorry. We've got to go back and we've got to acknowledge the greatest game ever played where the nephew describes himself. It was the how the game what's the name of the game? Oh wait, so yeah, so there's the game called Yes and No where basically it's like 20 questions basically where yeah, so- Fred thinks of something and then everyone has to ask him yes or no questions until they guess what it is and it, basically they describe this like really unfavorable grouchy animal um yep. And it ends up being Scrooge. Like one of them figures out like, oh, you're talking about Ebenezer Scrooge, like Uncle Scrooge. Um, And I kind of jumped ahead of myself, I guess, because part of what makes the scene interesting is that Fred is like, "Um, I'm just going to keep inviting him until he decides to come because it doesn't hurt me to go there and ask him and get rebuffed every year. But maybe it'll do him some good or at least he'll give his his clerk a raise or something. So Fred's just like another good spirited person, like one of these people who holds Christmas really close to heart and also is like morally just a person who has a heart for other people. To borrow a phrase from the late, great Stan Lee. Excelsior. He's a true believer. He is a true believer in the season. And I think it's also because he never knew his mother. Right? It's it's implied that she died during childbirth. So he never knew her. We don't know the relationship Fred had with her with his father. But the only connection Fred has to his mother, besides left maybe, is his, his uncle. And he's going to try for even maybe his mother's sake, you know? Right. Maybe someone told him that his mother was always nice to, you know, Ebenezer. Maybe his mother, maybe somebody told him or his father told him, you know, like Ebenezer was really good with, you know, your friends with your mom. But like, he's a jerk and he's trying to do that. He feels there's definitely some kind of like he a mission for him to kind of bring Scrooge back into the fold and no and Scrooge gets to see that too in this moment like Scrooge sees that altruism that Fred has right he admits and he admits in that moment that he will never stop but he will also he know but the game acknowledges that he knows what Scrooge is and he's he doesn't deny he's not like when these people like no 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 he's really good deep down no my uncle's a prick yeah but I'm going to try to save him and I'm going to try to do this because it's the time of year when you do that, even to the worst of your family, even to the people in your life that are mean, cruel, or even in just indifferent to you. You try to be nice to everybody and, and you try to make their season as best as possible. 
And I love Fred. He's not quite Bob Cratchit, but he's a really good character. Yeah, he's a great, he's a great character. Um, there's some really good actors that have played him too. So I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that. Anyway, they move on from this party and, and into one of my favorite moments of the whole book. Okay. If like Jacob Marley in that sequence is my favorite, this one's like a close second. Mm-hmm. Um, the spirit basically takes him out to this like wilderness, this like wa- this kind of um, windy plain and outside of the city limits. And Scrooge notices that the spirit is old, like the spirit's been aging all night. And uh, basically it's getting close to midnight. And this ghost, like we kind of established earlier, you know, lives during the Christmas day period. And then another one will come along next year. And Scrooge notices something poking out from beneath the spirit's robe, some kind of like hand or claw or something and the spirit right now John, but i got my hands up saying preach man because this is one of my favorite moments in the entire book keep going dude this is it's it's so good right so the spirit pulls aside its robe and reveals these hideous emaciated children they're almost inhuman in their their kind of lack of um of any sort of life or humanity scrooge tries to be like oh what lovely children you have but he can't say it because it's so untrue that these things horrify him so much and he's He's trying he's trying to be kind in that moment right? right because it's so horrible what he's seeing but it's so false of a statement that even his attempt at kindness would ring false and wrong. Right. And and so he asked the spirit, like, are these yours? And the spirit is like, nah, bro, they are yours. They belong to man and they cling to me. So there, these are sort of the, the these elements of humanity that cling to the Christmas season. He describes the girl as want and the boy as ignorance. Want and ignorance. So these are, and I think that the implication being that want, like poverty, is a creation of humanity. Like we have created poverty and mm-hmm. we have created ignorance. And what I think is really telling is that he says, you have to beware both of these, but most of all, beware ignorance, which as a teacher, I'm all about, right? I I, I work really hard at my job to try to empower kids to... Um, think critically and to learn as much as they can and to fight back against ignorance, which is this thing that I think is really easy for people to fall into just this choice to ignore and to be blind to the reality of what's going on around them. It's also, it's in that moment. So we talked about the, the the ghost of Christmas present aging, right? Mm -hmm. We don't notice these kids until he's aged. Yeah. We don't notice them until the end. Scrooge isn't like in a book where they're there all the time. Somebody would have hinted at them while they're walking. Like Scrooge would be like, he noticed a, a weird shadow coming from underneath the cloak. And like, what's that there? Like, but he doesn't say because he's still taking in everything for the season. He only notices it when the day is almost done. And he's only noticing it because it's clinging to the spirit of it. And he can't survive it, right? Right. The spirit of the ghost of Christmas present, the spirit of Christmas cannot of the season, the spirit of the season cannot survive what 
the reality of what these children are going through. Yeah, they're kind of pa- like parasites almost. Right. They're sort it, of the it, implication. The truth of what they suffer through, it's what kills the Christmas spirit. If you're somebody that does, like we were talking about in the last episode, Scrooge's opinion of like, there's no reason to do this. The world sucks. Why are we celebrating this day? Why, why are we acknowledging this day? The world sucks. Somebody could look at that and be like, yeah, the world does suck. And it's it just beats down the spirit of Christmas. And oh, I love this moment in the book. Yeah. So Scrooge is, I mean, he's like, is there anything for them? Like, is there any refuge or resource for these these children? And the spirit's last words to Scrooge are his own. It says, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? So coming back to that idea, like, yeah you are supposed to be like you are a wealthy you are a person of privilege you are supposed to be the one trying to figure out how to solve this problem like it's in your hands to do this but here's what you threw back at the people who came asking for charity like we'll put them in prison or put them in a workhouse if they're in poverty right like one of those two two institutions here baby with great power comes great responsibility right you ain't ain't doing it scroogey and and Scrooge is left there. The spirit disappears. The bell tolls midnight. Scrooge uh-huh. is left on this yep. field alone, not back in his room, like with the the other two instances. And this this chapter ends with him seeing the next spirit, which we will discuss in stave four, the last of the three spirits. However, before we do that, we've got to pay our clerk. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. I stopped your half a crown for it. You'd think yourself overused, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me overused if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Tis hmm? only once a year, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking men's pocket every 25th of December. Hi, everybody. If you're anything like me, you've been listening to podcasts pretty much as long as podcasts have been a thing, and you've always dreamed that one day you would find a topic you were really passionate about, and you would make that dream podcast yourself. Unfortunately, in today's day and age, when everybody and their mom and their mom's dog has a podcast, and there are so many different podcast hosting platforms to choose from, it can be a little bit difficult to find something that fits both your needs and your budget. And that is where Anchor comes in. If you are someone just breaking into the podcast scene and you're looking for a place to uh, get started hosting your podcast, Anchor is a great choice. For starters, it's totally free. There's no charge to host the files that you need for your podcast. It also has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So if you're someone who hasn't broken into using GarageBand or Audacity or a more professional program to record your podcast... Anchor has all of the tools you need to record right from your phone or computer. Anchor also provides seamless distribution to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms, so it's really easy for you to reach a broad audience. If you're looking to monetize your podcast, you can do so with no minimum listenership through Anchor. Just record an ad and put a sponsorship segment in your show, and you're good to go. It's everything that you need to make a podcast right in one place. If you want to get started recording that podcast you've always dreamed about today, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
Uh, so here we get the ghost of Christmas yet to come, right? The ghost of Christmas future, who is described as a tall, cloaked figure, basically a black shape moving along the ground through the mist towards Scrooge. This is how you build up tension and fear in a story, okay? This is how you turn naturally the story into a playful romp into a ghost story and a story that fills you up with fear, right? Yeah. And it's a really good like magic trick he does here with like, it's not like the ghost of Christmas past or ghost of Christmas present is like chill and cool and funny until the end. And then all of a sudden there's this like switch to it being dark. Like the ending of the, of the ghost of Christmas present is really dark. It's heavy with these scary children appearing from beneath the robe and like uh, the, the sort of, the haunting way that it throws his words back at him. And then he looks up and here comes basically the grim reaper. It's setting it up. It's, it, 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 it's okay. Okay. We all had our fill, but now we're going to get real here. And now Scrooge, there he is. And. And what's interesting, right. Is like this, this spirit does not talk to Scrooge. Scrooge is the one that does all the talking now. Right. Um, and we'll talk about the reason for that when we kind of reveal who this spirit is, because it, it's pretty clear from its shape. But there's there's an implication um, that we'll get to in a minute. I want to build up to it. Um, but Scrooge is basically like, all right, man, I know how this works. I do not want to be the person that I was. you got to show me some stuff to help me get there. So lead on because I don't got a lot of time. Like he sort of is like, let's get on with it, man. Like, show me what you got to show me. He is all in. He is yeah. all in on wanting to turn a new leaf. Um, it's a really and- good, like the way that the, the way in which Scrooge's dynamic in this text is really convincing. I find. Well, I also think that even though he wants to change at this moment, there's all there's always those you know epiphanies people have, right? Like there's those like, nope, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to be a better person. I won't do that thing that I shouldn't do ever again. And I'm going to be better for it. And then three days later, they do the thing. Yeah. Scrooge is at that point right now. Yeah. He really does believe that he's going to be a better person and he might make efforts, but it's still possible for him to fall back into his old habits. Yeah. And I think that's what this is like. Okay. You think you're ready? Here we go. Yeah. So this ghost takes him basically to like the London equivalent of the stock exchange. And um, my least favorite characters in the book. Oh, yeah. These guys. So basically he sees a bunch of these like fat cat businessmen that he he used to interact with standing around talking about how somebody has died and they're kind of having a a broadly disrespectful conversation about how, well, it's going to be a pretty cheap funeral. I doubt anyone's going to go. Well, I'll go if like someone feeds me. It's very, um, there's no tenderness. There's no, there's nothing there to indicate that these people care at all about this guy being dead. They're more concerned with like, well, who's going to get his money? Like what, what is, is his business going to go on to somebody else? Like uh, there's one of the three kind of says who's he's just gonna go to go i think he said he was the friendliest of all of them yeah 
like so he's kind of sympathetic but the rest of these fat cats are the worst they're worse than scrooge actually in my opinion because they probably don't go around saying humbug and stuff like that but i don't know there's just they're definitely cut from the same cloth like these are his people these are the people that he interacted with the most that are like him and Marley mostly concerned with making a profit. These are the people he wanted to be. These are the people Scrooge wanted to be. If he, it, it, assuming he came from nothing, right? Assuming he had nothing to start out with. He wanted to be like these people who maybe did have stuff to start out with. Maybe they had, you know, they came from money in the beginning already, right? It, yeah, it's hard to say. The way they talk about him, I almost think that he's worse than they are. Like, I almost think that the implication here is that, like, listen, these guys are all like a bunch of a bunch of jerks. But like the way they talk about Scrooge makes Scrooge sound really bad. I I, I agree, but I don't know. There's always this. I don't know. I feel more sympathy to Scrooge than I feel to these three people, because I feel like I, I don't know. I just get the sense from them that they are as indifferent to the poor as Scrooge, right? In the beginning of the story. But I don't know. I, I feel, and maybe if I had their ghosts, maybe if I saw their past, maybe if I went through their things, I would have more sympathy. But just on its face, I want to punch these guys in the face. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, they yeah, they're, they are the worst, most certainly. Um, and Scrooge is looking around, right? And he's like, oh man, I don't, I don't see myself here. And this begins a, I want to talk about this a little bit as we go forward, this idea that Scrooge doesn't realize that he is the person they're talking about um, because he kind of is like, Oh, he says to the spirit, like I get it. The guy that they're talking about is a lot like me, but I need to change so that I don't end up the same way that whoever this did, like there's a level of denial here where I think he must know. He must know that he is the dead person, but he is trying to figure out like I'm going through this whole experience. This must be there must be a way that I can be redeemed. And that's why like the text never says that he's having this suspicion. It implies it a little bit, but I always think it's interesting. Like I remember being younger and being like, it's obviously you. Like, what are you talking about? But now I think looking at it, I'm like, oh, no, like he knows, but he's trying to figure out if there's like a possibility that he's wrong. I I think he's it's one of the five stages of death, you know, yeah, denial, targeting all I don't got them all in front of me right now, but like he's denying and trying to and eventually he does straight up start to bargain, you know? Like he I always interpreted that he he's he knows but he doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a level of denial there. So, um the <laughs> So this this kind of the scene moves on from these like businessmen to this like seedy kind of underbelly of the city. It's got a very like almost felt like a white chapel kind of feel like where the Jack the Ripper killings uh, happened, where it's almost like a shanty town. People have set up these shops and, and different things with like rags instead of doors. And they go into one of these. What's that? 
it's not good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's not great. Um, they go into one of these shops and there's like this sketchy dude there who's clearly like a pawnbroker or, or some such. And I want to say something here about that. So you mentioned the pawnbroker, right? And you mentioned how skeevy this whole area is. Yeah. There's a moment earlier with the with the uh, the Cratchits where they talk about like he wouldn't be above going to a pawn shop. I think the one son, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's saying that's how close the Cratchits are to this life. Right. This is the other end of like poverty in the city. So we saw like the Cratchits on one end who are honest, hardworking people who are just poor and like making the best of it. And then you have this other end where this guy is basically going to like take possession of stolen goods in a second. So um, in walks uh, Scrooge's uh, charwoman, which I think is like a, like a housekeeper. If I am reading it correctly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, The, the charwoman, his housekeeper, the laundress, right. The woman who washes his like clothes and sheets and stuff and his, um, uh, undertaker, or at least like a, a guy who works for the undertaker. Um, this scene, I remember, I won't say what version of it because we'll get to it eventually, right? Yeah. But this scene has always been one of the most powerful to me because this is like when you're a child and you go through this scene, it introduces so many insane concepts for a young mind that like it can't not leave an impression. Right. So uh, basically these people come in and they're, they're selling off like, you know, bed curtains and various like shirts and knickknacks and blankets, things that basically they've scrounged. I mean, these people are vultures, right? He has no one to look after. Like he's alone when he dies, presumably. So there's no one to look after like his estate, his belongings. So people are just kind of like picking the bones of, of what he had in his house to sell. Um, and in this scene, they sort of talk about him that way. They're like, well, if he wanted people to look after this stuff, like, why wasn't he like a normal, like, why didn't he make friends? Why didn't he live a normal life? Why did he have to be such a wicked old screw? So it's, it's interesting, right? Cause it's just showing like, this is his legacy, all of this work to procure all this wealth ends with it being sold off in this like greasy hole in the wall somewhere. I mean, we, we are assuming this, I mean, Anybody who reads this should get that this is screwed at this point. Yeah, I don't think it's very, it's very obvious because it's like all his stuff. <laughs> all his, and and depending on the adaptation you read, he even made he mentions that that's his or like those are mine. Like I don't think he directly does say that at this point in the in the text. Like he doesn't say that's my dress shirt, does he? Yeah. No, but like it's it's very obvious. And it's it's what I love and is terrifying about it is the revelry in his, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second, but like the joking around about his death so casually. Right. Well, right. And I think the indifference presumably is born of like, he was indifferent. So no one cares that he died. Right. Like he did nothing to make the world a better place. So now like the only way that, the only way that his life can have any profit for anyone else is by this kind of selling off of his possessions. But I think what, what I think what Dickens is saying here though, is and getting back to ignorance, right? Like the loss of life, any life is tragic. 
Right. Right. And even Scrooge, who in this alternate future is a scumbag still, his death is a loss. Right. But they 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 aren't able to see that, and so they mock him for even for 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 they mock him and they make jests and they profit off of his life. But it isn't. We'll get into it in the next scene. So from this sequence, we move on suddenly and Scrooge is kind of alarmed because they are now in a room and there is a body on a bed covered by a sheet. And the ghost is kind of pointing at it like, look at what's under the sheet. And he can't do it. He's like, listen, I I can't do this. I know you want me to. I want to know who it is, but I don't have the strength to do this. If you can show me like some kind of emotion connected to this, to to this death like i i'm never gonna forget what i saw in that other room and the ghost basically takes him to the house of this like young couple who are basically like relieved because he's dead which means someone else will inherit their debt and maybe give them an extension so like it's this it's like a joy that these people are experiencing because of this person's death and getting back to the idea of ignorance there the uh, Dickens describes the, um, the the couple reluctant in their joy. Yeah. They don't like the fact that they are feeling this way about somebody's death, but they can't deny how they feel about it because it's such a crappy situation. Right. So they're trying to take the, they're trying to take the high road emotionally, but they can't because they're like, we have had this on our necks for all this time. And now there's a chance. And the chance is because this guy died. It's the best response somebody in that situation could have, and it still sucks. Yeah, right. And Scrooge is looking at it like, um, it's, he, he kind of like changes it up. He's like, it's like that thing with like like a monkey's paw where like you have to word your wish a particular way or you'll get like some horrible outcome. And he's like, can you show me like tenderness or remorse connected to a death? Like, can you at least show me that like, there is a chance of some kind of tenderness. Um, oh, you shouldn't have done that one, Scroogey. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't go super great um, because he's taken back to the home of Bob Cratchit and it's oh, immediately clear. <laughs> I'm going to need to make like a, a Bob Cratchit sound drop, which will be really inappropriate in this moment. Um, All right. All right, let me do a somber one. Let me do a somber one. Bobby C. There you go. Um, in the home of Bob Cratchit, his wife is like working by a fireplace and Peter's reading like the Bible to her. And she's trying to like say that her eyes are, are tired because of the, of the sewing and not because she's been crying. And it's immediately clear that tiny Tim did not survive to the next Christmas, like from one Christmas to the next. Um, just for frame of, uh, just because i've never really got this down is this the same exact time that scrooge's death has happened that's a great question i don't the the text kind of implies that they're jumping around to, to various places so we don't know how long scrooge has to live we right. know that it's pretty close like tim doesn't survive another year at least it's implied because all the people are like presumably the same age not too much older they yeah. they the, the the one son that's about to have an apprenticeship he's still there not with anybody but right. he is older and he might get, get married soon 
the daughter, like everyone is just about one year older from where they were. Right. So it's, I think that is a safe assumption. Right. And so there's just this, I mean, I had a really hard time. So like I, I was recording, you know, my, the audio book that I did of this and this was really tough for me because my son is two years old right now. And he's like, he's at an age where I like, you get really attached. So the idea of Bob, who is like clearly very attached to Tim, like in the scene we saw with them before the two of them had like gone to church together. So there's like a special relationship that Bob has with tiny Tim. Um, And we, and this is like the moment where he breaks down, like he's there kind of describing like this nice graveyard plot that they got for, for Tim and how he's going to go there every Sunday to talk with him and he can't hold it together. Right. This is the moment that breaks Bob after kind of the abuse that he goes through the rest of the story. Bob Cratchit is an optimist. Bob Cratchit is, he tries to see the best. He tries to make the best of situations. And the Cratchit family learned from his example, right? And they all and they all are trying to be optimistic and happy. But nobody took that lesson more than Tiny Tim. Right. I mean, we kind of walked over it, but there's a great moment in the Cratchit house when Bob says, you know, um, to to what is what's the phraseology to uh, to Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. Mm-hmm. And they all like talk down about Scrooge. Everybody else in the family is not optimistic or pleasant about Scrooge, right? Tiny Tim is. All the optimism of the Cratchit family is with and in Tiny Tim, right? Yeah. yeah. And when and when he's gone, that is gone from that family too. Right. Yeah. It's it's definitely left a hole, and it's it's presumably something that could have been avoided because the ghost of Christmas present explicitly told Scrooge, like you can change this. So Scrooge is then taken to a graveyard and this is where it's all going to come to a head. Um, And he, he has been denying up until this point, the reality that he is, has to be the person who's dead, but he looked like he looks in his own counting house window at one point and there's someone else working there. Um, he didn't see himself in any of his like the usual places where he would have been. So it's pretty clear at this point, like Scrooge is the one who died. Scrooge was the dead man on the bed. It was and pretty I, clear from the guys on the steps of you know Wall yeah, Street. It's, it's been clear since the beginning. Since uh, like the the ghost of Christmas Future, who never speaks, is clearly death. Like that's sort of what I was implying earlier. This is like the Grim Reaper. It's explicitly drawn that way in the text to be like this kind of avatar of death. And at this moment, right, Scrooge is standing by this gravestone and it's covered in snow and he doesn't want to brush off the snow to see what name is written there. And he's sort of he's in this final stage of bargaining where he's like, okay, so look, before I look at what this name is, like our our these the shadows of things that are going to happen or are they shadows of things that might happen unless something changes and the ghost doesn't say anything and he gets into this kind of like bootstrappy argument of like um obviously like our lives will go to certain ends um our actions cause certain outcomes but if we change our actions like that means outcomes have to change obviously the time continuum has been disrupted creating this new Temporal event sequence resulting in this alternate reality. English, Doc. Here, here, here. Seen light. Yeah. 
he knows like he had like he's now he's seen a future of what will happen if he doesn't change and he's trying to determine like can i do anything to change this can i do anything to make this better um and then he finally looks down and he and he brushes off and he sees his name and that's like the big moment like oh it's ebenezer scrooge obviously so here's my question to you james because this is something that i've been mulling over a lot at this point is scrooge upset because he is dead or is he upset because he knows that he his life was meaningless? He's upset that he knows his life was meaningless. Right? It's not- I think for a long time I thought, oh, he's upset because it turns out he's dead. But I'm like, that's super selfish. That's obviously not correct right. at this moment. That doesn't make any sense. When, earlier on in the last episode, I talked about the sign on the door and there were two names there. It was mm-hmm. Bob. It, it was Bob Marley. We're German. There were two names. <laughs> it was Jacob Marley, and it was it was Marley and Scrooge, and he's completely alone, even in death. Right. There's there's no quote on the on the tombstone. There's there's no on the gravestone. There's no there's no flowery sentimentality around his death even a grave that somebody probably paid for him you know with his own money there's nothing there to say you know he was a hard-nosed guy but maybe you know we need a little bit more of that in our lives or something like that like there's nothing there there's no warmth even in his death he is alone on that stone he is alone in death and that because of that stone's appearance right because of that stones because of what is on that stone and how it is presented to him he knows what he's doing at that moment he's standing right next to him covered in chains right so so here is my other question here um and this is something that didn't really occur to me until this most recent time i was reading through right so we know that um Obviously, Scrooge is going to change because of this. Do you think that Scrooge will live longer? Or do you think that his death in this moment is inevitable? Like he already has cancer or something. He's an old man. Do you think that his death is inevitable and that his hope is more that he can use what time he has left for good? I think the fear of his death to change what he has done to himself is a motivator. Um, so he, I think that, that I think let me start like by that. living a, a life full of Christmas spirit, is he going to extend his life? You know what I mean? Or that, is that it like, that might be a side effect, you know, people taking care for him. Maybe he's not living in a, such a cold house. Right. I mean, depression, like he's obviously Scrooge is depressed. So I feel like depression has like a negative impact on your health. Not that that's something Charles Dickens would have known in the mid 1800s, but like, I I, I think people know that it's not healthy to be, it's a sucky situation to live on your own in, and your old age and not to have somebody there to help you and take care of you, even just to check in and even, and, and just to check in, He's got somebody working in the house and clearly they don't care about him to have somebody in your life that cares for you that it might not actually make you live longer, but it will make your days worth living. So 
he grabs onto the ghost and the ghost begins to kind of like dwindle and and shift in shape until it becomes a bedpost. And Scrooge wakes up in stage five, the end of it. What what did he do there, John? He woke up? <laughs> okay, so woke up... Uh, he he finds himself in his bed. It doesn't the text doesn't say he woke up as much as it says that he finds himself in his bed and it's Christmas morning. So it's possible that it was a dream. Um, but I'm going to talk to you in a second about why I think it wasn't. Um, so basically, we come to stave five, the end of it, and he finds himself, you know, like in his room and he throws open the window and the bells are ringing and it's Christmas morning. And apparently the spirits have done, you know, all of this in one night, in this one night, they've um, transformed his entire outlook on life. Yeah. It's a wonderful, the, the turnabout in that, in the way Dickens describes him here, right. The way he talks about, how he's just jumping around with so much life and joy. He's jumping around for joy because he has time. Right. He has time to spend this Christmas and to make this Christmas right. Yeah. At least this one. At least this one. If this is his last one, he's going to do everything in his power to make it right. Yeah. So um, he throws open the window and we get that like very famous scene where he calls down to the kid in the street like, what day is it? And the kid's like, oh, it's Christmas Day. Um, and he and he's just like so like full of like uh, joy in like the existence of other people that like he's like, oh, what a great kid. Like, it's so much fun to talk to you, like two sentences into this conversation. Um, he I like just think in that way that people like you do when you like when some kind of burden is released and you just realize like I just want to enjoy other people. So basically Scrooge asked this kid to buy like the largest turkey in the whole town and he's going to ship it off anonymously to Bob Cratchit. Um, and he finds that idea incredibly hilarious because Bob will like have no idea who it's from. And he's like, haha, this is great. Um, and then he kind of manages... Yeah, he buys a cab for it to transport it there. Um, and he pays the kid like a lot of money for this task. Um, then he manages to get himself dressed and he just like wanders out into the streets and he's Merry Christmasing everybody. Um, and he runs into the the charity workers from the first chapter who were trying to collect um, money for the poor. And he's basically like, hey, I was a big, huge jerk. Sorry about that. How about I give you? And he like whispers in the guy's ear, which I think is a very funny way for Dickens to be like, however much you think Scrooge gave him, it was more than that. Like he doesn't tell you how much Scrooge donates. He just tells you that the guys are like, are, are you serious? It's like it, a lot of money. <laughs> it's future proofing actually the amount. It's yeah, like, right. I don't know what would have been a lot of money back then, but I know what a lot of money to me right now is. And that is a wonderful way of like, okay, whatever you think is a lot of money. Scrooge gave so so much more yeah yeah whatever it was um and sort of implies like you know he's like there's a lot of back payments in that like i'm just making up for lost time here and he ends up um going to uh his nephew's house to eat a whole bunch of crow um 
and he kind of like pokes his head in the door and he and it's sort of implied that he like knows his way around the house because he was creeping there with the ghost of Christmas present already. Um, and Fred is like very surprised to see him, but super overjoyed. Um, and and here's why I don't think that it's a dream, because because all the same people like all of Fred's friends are there doing all the same things that he saw playing the same games like Scrooge got to preview this day. Okay. And I think and I think that there's no other way that you can like I think it's a real reach to try to explain that away as like Scrooge happened to dream this too. Okay. Two things. One, there's not that many games back then to play at Christmas, okay? I can't imagine they had, like, you know, all the different type of games we have now. They had, like, three Christmas games to play. So I don't think that's a valid argument there. And for knowing the layout of the house, maybe he's... Look, maybe he's been there and he just doesn't know it, you know? Like, look, maybe I'm pulling at strings a little bit here. But I think it's, I don't think that is 100% proof that it wasn't a dream. It's close. I don't think, and yes, he knows all the party, he knows what the party guests look like. But you can imagine a vague room of what people look like in your head for a party you're not going to in a dream. I can Yeah, imagine. but like the te- in the text, it describes like the same people with the same names. Like it's it's not like vaguely a room of the same people it's like these specific people doing the same specific things john you keep the ghosts of christmas past present and future in your way and let me keep them in mind okay Uh, that's fine that's fair um so let's get to like my third and final favorite scene which is uh after scrooge visits with um his nephew and attends that Christmas dinner. It's the next morning and Scrooge makes this point that he's going to get to um, the office early so that he can make sure he catches Bob Cratchit coming in late. And he sort of puts on this charade when Bob inevitably does come in late. And it's like sort of implied that he has a hangover. Um, It's, it's, it's not implied. And he totally has a hangover. Yeah. A giant, giant Turkey showed up at his house. And he doesn't know why. Yeah. He has no clue. He's so got I, a tryptophan hangover from the turkey. He got that going on. I bet he didn't eat all that food. So I bet he invited some friends over to the house. And you can imagine that because, oh, the Kratzers are sharing some of their meal with us. Let's share something of theirs. So maybe he got a little bit of extra something to drink that night. You know? like Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever I, it is. So... Had a good old yeah, time. yeah, Bob Bob comes in nursing his hangover and Scrooge kind of puts on this act of like being the same person. And he's like, I'm not going to stand for this anymore. Um, what, what, like, what are you doing coming in so late? And he's like, and and because of all this, I guess I'm going to have to raise your salary and pay your mortgage and and buy your kids some some medicine for whatever sickness he has and you're going to go get some more coal. So he like, he does this kind of like turnaround where he's like, I'm going to do all the things that I should have been doing for you all these years. Um, and Bob is like close to running into the street and looking for someone to bring a straight jacket because he's so perplexed. I think that it, yeah, that's, that's a great little situation. Like this, this guy's just gone nuts. He hasn't had an epiphany. He's not a good guy. He's just gone crazy. Right. Um, 
No, it's it's such a good moment. Like, I think that it doesn't it doesn't overwhelm you with him being nice. It's just like he I I feel like Bob Cratchit is like the person to whom he has been the most cruel. Mm -hmm. And in this moment, it's like, like, don't dot another I until you go out and get some coal. And it's very reminiscent of the way that Fezziwig talked to him when he was an apprentice right there's definitely a a similar energy of like jovial like happy to be working with this person um the fellowship of work right and and like almost like a like a partnership like this is a person who he works with really closely like scrooge owns the counting house and bob works there what's that does he make him partner no he gives him a raise He's not Bob like didn't go to school. He's not he's not gonna make him a partner. But but not to jump ahead to other adaptations, but I'm pretty sure other versions make him partner. So that's the thing that this version doesn't do. There are. This version is a little bit more realistic, I think. Yeah. Come on. But but like he also like gives him a raise, he pays the guy's mortgage, helps and like Tiny Tim does not die. Yeah, well, no, 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 I get it, I get it. I just want to say, Bob, Bob deserves to be partner. But anyway, <laughs> what I like, though, about with, um, what happens there, though, with uh, with Bob and Scrooge, it's like the back taxes. Yeah. I said earlier, I'm pretty sure Bob Cratchit wasn't getting paid what he should be paid for the work he was doing. Right. He's working under horrible conditions. So Scrooge, he isn't doing just good deeds just for the sake of them. He's paying for past sins. He's paying for how horrible he was to Bob and how horrible he was to, you know, the, the poor and, and, and the downtrodden. And he's and what he's about what he did with his nephew going there, he's he's trying to be part of the family. These are not crazy ideas at the time. These are simple things people can do, you know, if they do them in the moment, day in, day out. Which is kind of the idea of Christmas, which goes into the next part. Right. So uh, w- sort of after this moment where he sends Bob out to like buy more coal and they have this this kind of interaction, it, it we get sort of this little like coda or, or little, uh, I guess, epilogue where Scrooge is better than his word. He keeps Christmas all the year. The people who remember him remember him as someone who like really knew how to keep Christmas. Um, he becomes like a father figure to Tiny Tim. Basically, he embodies like the spirit of Christmas for the rest of his life. Yeah, it's a really touching moment. Um, so yeah, he keeps the spirit year round, which is the point. If you are just if you're a good person and you're doing your best year round. You're not going to walk around in the afterlife with a bunch of chains on you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's it. That's the end of the story. So well, that kind of brings this to a close. Jimmy, if if you could kind of succinctly tell me, why do you think that this story has remained relevant for as long as it has? I mean, we touched on that a lot throughout, but what do you think is like the one touchstone that keeps people coming back to this story? Redemption. Okay. It is about the fact that at at any moment you can turn this whole thing around, but you just need a reminder once in a while, maybe a kick in the head Mm -hmm. and you can change who you are and become a better person. 
and we can all become a better version of ourselves, even the best of us. You know, we 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 want to be better, and we want to we want to be a better friend. We want to be a better person. And if you're, I personally feel if you're if you, I always think like I could do more, right? I I could I could try more. And it's like I'm not perfect. Nobody is. But in in but in the pursuit of trying to do the right thing and being perfect in the sense of like doing right by everybody. I'm going to do pretty well. Scrooge isn't doing any of that. Scrooge isn't being kind to anybody. Scrooge isn't doing right by anybody. He's doing what he's supposed to do by the letter of the law, but that necessarily doesn't mean that he's a good person. And this story is about how no matter what you have done in the past, no matter what road you think you're on for the future, you're not stuck on bad choice road. You can get off of it. Now, you can't deny that you were on it, you can get off of it and you can lead a better life. And that is a very human um, story. And I think that's why everybody, not everybody, because there are people that probably hate this story, but I think it's why it has endured as long as it has, you know? Uh, yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I think for me, it, it's, there's like a, a versatility to it, right? A timelessness where, I think at different points in history, um, this story can be a kind of parable of the class divide and the responsibility that the privilege have towards those without privilege. Um, in some cases, it can be very Freudian in, in that way, like where it's an examination of the things that made Scrooge the person he is and why change is like ultimately a healing process for him. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is like, I, I I kind of agree with you that idea of redemption is so cathartic. Like when we see Scrooge redeemed in the end of the story and we watch the journey that he went on, not only does it make us feel good that he's able to, to be redeemed and make this difference for people, but I think it also helps us to, to look beyond like the people in our lives who have been cruel or who have, who have hurt us because it helps us to also remember like how often hurt people hurt people. And I think that's something with Scrooge that we really see like Scrooge is like a really maimed and traumatized character who comes to, he like comes to terms with that hurt and that trauma and is able to break free and stop the cycle of like perpetuating that on other people. And I think that's a really important message, both for like the Scrooges of the world and also for the Bob Cratchits of the world. Like mm-hmm. we, we all have to participate in this process of healing and forgiving and change in order to make the world a better place. And I think that's a really powerful piece of this story for me. God dang, this is a great story. Yeah, it's really good. I'm really excited that we get to spend the next 50 talking about it well yeah let's let's get to next christmas and see how we're feeling i think that's my mentality (laughs) right now um see how sick we get of this but uh (laughs) thanks for uh sticking in with us for a couple of long episodes um our goal is for kind of things to get a little bit shorter moving forward to keep it a little bit tighter but we wanted to get into a lot of detail this first um time out just so that we have like i said before that really good baseline to talk about what we're seeing in these other adaptations um uh jimmy do you care to tell the people at home uh what we are going to be looking at in a couple of weeks 
Well, uh, in a couple of weeks, we are going to be talking about A Christmas Carol. Uh, So specifically, we're going to be talking about the 1951 live action adaptation of A Christmas Carol starring one Alistair Sim, distributed by Renown Pictures. Uh, Probably the most well-known version of this. Um, Although full confession, as of the time of recording, I have never seen it. So this will be really exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know about that, John. I think uh, there... I think I mean, it, it was definitely the most well-known of a time, you know? But we'll get into that next time, because I am looking forward. I don't think I've seen this one in a long, long time, if ever. And, but I, I'm just excited to go through this with you, John. But it's as I'm looking at the clock here. We're running long on this episode. Remember, friends, we're just two guys talking about this. So if you have a thought or opinion on this, don't forget to email us. We'll keep a link. Do you want to give an email? Uh, we'll put a we'll put an email link and, and all that in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to us, if you have any thoughts, um, feel free to share them. We'll be happy to look through them, maybe uh, talk about some of them on the show. So as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.